Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Tim and Jay. What's up, gentlemen? Yo, yo, yo. Kyle, did you hear that Lucas uh, declared himself your replacement permanently on the last (laughs) podcast and did your outro? I don't know if you heard uh, that. No, I didn't, but he's fired. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I got through about half the episode so far, so I haven't got to that spot in that part yet. Um, yeah, no, you, you guys did great. I heard you, um, I haven't gotten to them yet, but I heard you had some spicy uh, discussion yeah. on etiquette and stuff. So um, Yeah, I mean, l- l- I think my view with this has been the same since we started these podcasts like four almost four years ago Mm. is just like we want a cool group and a cool community right we don't want to become those like really sweaty tryhard communities like magic the gathering or 40k i'm like i know listen before you guys all any of you magic or 40k players are listening kyle used to be one of them i used to be magic and fantasy so we know what we're talking about and i'm not putting any of you down there's some great people in those communities but you guys know exactly what i'm talking about uh you know those guys that force even though you know you lost force you to complete the game so that they can get all their points right so that they can keep going in the especially in 40k we don't want to be that community we want to be cool and welcoming and the thing with it being star wars is we get a lot of people that don't play a lot of tabletop games if any this is their first tabletop game right and so Mm. if we want this community to grow and we want it to be amazing we need to kind of weed out the bad seeds and like tell them that it's not okay to be like that and so yeah so we talked a lot about um you know just etiquette and being a cool player and you know I i think a lot of this and i think you know i was thinking about this more over the week and like i played a a a game in real life today and i was really thinking kyle you know maybe you can speak to this a little bit there's a difference between how we play on tts and how we play in real life and i think to the degree where there's a lot more like oh i can like zoom in and i can see like all these like exact things and and things don't move or you know there's no like game state changes that could happen you know because everything's locked in and so you know, I think some some people come from the TTS only world because we've had this pandemic. They haven't played in real life tournaments and then they come to an in real life tournament and it's a little bit more loosey goosey in real life, you know, for for the most part. Um, it's not as like I feel like it's not as technically like sound of of like because in the in TTS you can like really like precisely do measurements precisely do movements and it's a little you know there's some you know there's some like hey if it's if we both agree on it in real life then it that's what it is sort of stuff i mean the 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 tab measure exists in tts and it doesn't in real life Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that it allows you to tts is a little bit more precise um yeah I wouldn't call real life Lucy Goosey so much as just like um, it's it's a little bit more dependent on playing by intent and that social contract. I would yeah. say that TTS is still very heavily dependent on that because at yeah. the end of the day, you know, we're not playing on a hex grid. 
um, we're not playing on a grid with squares. Like we're talking about distances between pieces that even in TTS exist in a world with uh, like simulated physics. Okay, right? but but here's an example in TTS. I can pop up range yeah, yeah. on my units and I can see the most minute sliver and go, that's range three, yep. you know, where in real life, you're both going, Oh man, I don't know that, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, yeah. that's really close. Uh, you, know, you know, and there's a lot more, uh, maybe loosey goosey wasn't the right word, but you know, there's a lot more like variation on what we expect, it, you know, the expectations yeah. of, of, right. of, of that to be. Right. The, the tools in TTS allow you to be a little bit more precise, right? Yep. You can you can pop a silhouette button and the silhouettes like magically appear yep. uh, as cylinders above the models. Um, you know, you can do the tab key, which gives you exact inch measurements. You can do those range bands, which are very helpfully colored to yep. allow you to be perfectly exact. Um, but yeah, they both rely on that social contract. It's just a mm -hmm. little bit more obvious in person because if you want to be at exactly range three, like you have to, you should say it on TTS too, but you definitely have to say it in real life because you're dealing with a yeah. physical stick and two physical, you know, plastic dudes. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, any miniatures game is going to be dependent. Like at the end of the day, it's a social interaction between you and the other player. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yes, it is a game of luck and skill, but it's also, um, you know, you want it to be about the skill and about the luck and not about playing gotcha with your opponent or yep. something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's um, it's always important to just, you know, be nice. <laughs> like, yeah. don't don't let your opponent do things that are illegal. Right. Yeah. Um, don't help your opponent with strategy. But, uh, you know, if if there's a shot there, like where your opponent can get to range three and um like it's obvious they can do that and uh you know like don't make them fiddle around for five minutes trying to get it like just be like yeah, yeah my intent's to be at exactly range three put the model there be like okay boom you're exactly range three let's move on you know? yeah so um yeah don't be a douche yeah that's all yeah it's not hard <laughs> nope. at the end of the day we're playing with little plastic space dudes right little tiny plastic stormtroopers like it's we're all nerds. And really, um, like, the only thing on the line is some cool swag from AMG and then us saying your name on a podcast or in a blog post. Like, that's that's it, boys. Yeah. That's that's all that's you're it. getting out of yeah. this. Yeah, yeah you're not going to win a car or anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. And if you did, you still shouldn't be a douche. But, yeah. Um, yeah. No car, I quit. Yeah. It's just, it's just pride, people. That's yeah. it. <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, uh, do you have any housekeeping before we launch into our main topics, Jay? Uh, yeah, just, you know, uh, we we talked about it, I think it was last week or the week before, but we launched a new tool called Legion Stream. It's basically stream overlays that help all you people out there who, who want to do streams and want a simple way to show like command cards or victory points or, or you know, battlefield cards. Um, it's a web-based system for you guys to use, like whether you use an OBS or Streamlabs or something, and you can use that. Um, so you can check that out at legionstream.thefifthtrooper.com. Uh, we're going to be updating that you know since we launched it uh, a 
bunch of people have given me some really amazing ideas. Uh, one of them being, hey, do you have a, like, I don't see any of the skirmish cards in here. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. So, you know, I think skirmish cards, like somebody was asking, could we do like the 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 full like battlefield turn zero so you could see all the cards and then how they selected so that you can like keep that up on a screen and like pop back and be like well this is how they went through everything and and so i think that's all very doable and so you know i'm, I'm definitely taking notes and uh writing down ideas um and so that's you know like all our other apps it's something we're going to keep updated and it's completely free for you to use um for for everybody to use in the community and so i'm i'm you know, happy about that. And, you know, we have our other tools, Legion HQ, which is our list builder, uh, Legion Stats, which is all the stats from tournaments that have been going on. And then also we have legionquickguide.com, which is uh, just a quick reference tool that's a, basically a sum, uh, you know, summary of the, of the rules reference guide. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just another tool we're adding to the, to the utility belt here. And, Again, I, I think I've said this a hundred times, but basically we just, everything we do is things that we want and things that we're like, oh, you know what would be really useful uh, is X. And then I'm like, yeah, let's make it happen. You know, so <laughs> so um, I'm excited about that. And then as always, if you like any of the content that we produce on the, on the blog or on the podcast, um, you know, support us on Patreon because we, again, we, we pay our staff and, and that's how we, that's how we pay them is, is through the Patreon. So. Yep. And check out the store where we, yeah, the store. Yeah. So if, if you want to support us, that's another way you can buy your actual Legion models there. Yep. Um, clearly Ten you can get lots of, lots of other products there too. Yeah. 10% uh, off with the code SW Legion at checkout. Uh, oh, if, I mean, if you're interested, anybody out there, we're always looking for blog writers. So if you want to go to our website and if you go to the about section, there's a place to, uh, to apply. And so, you know, if you've got some, some cool exam writing examples, or you have, you know, you don't even have to have a history of writing, frankly. Most <laughs> it of the helps. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, like, you got to be a good writer and you need right. to give us yeah. examples, but it, you don't have to be a professional writer. Correct. Like, yeah. Hell, half of our staff, that's not their primary job. <laughs> so actually, yeah. most of our staff, that's not their primary job. Um, but yeah, if you if you have good ideas and and you have, you know, and you can articulate them and write them down well, that's pretty much all you need. So, you know, go fill out an application and we'll we'll see because we're always looking for talent. And, you know, I particularly want to put out even more blog articles. So, yeah. Yeah, and give give me a heads up too if you submit that application so that we know to look for it. Yeah, do just that on Discord or Facebook or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that'd be great. All right, that's it. Uh, okay, well, uh, we're going to talk today about terrain and Ooh. basically how to make a competitive table. Yes, um, and then we're also going to do some hobby stuff because we haven't talked about that in a while. So great. I yeah. love all of this. All right, let's let's talk terrain first. All right. So uh, let's let's talk. Maybe we can get to this the second part more in the hobby section. But let's talk first about just like how to arrange terrain on a table. Like, what is a good, balanced, interesting, fun legion table look like? Okay. Um, 
Should we start with like the official terrain guidelines? Because that is a thing, but for those that don't Probably. know. Um, now this is FFG's turn old tournament regs, so clearly at some point this could change. Yeah. Um, but the official guidance for uh, 3x6 table, the terrain should cover at least 25% of the table, uh, no more than 35% of the table. Um, should include a mix of scatter terrain, line of sight blocking terrain, uh, area terrain, and terrain of varying heights. Terrain should include a mix of heavy and light cover. Mm -hmm. Medium and large pieces of terrain should roughly be placed beyond range one of each other. So um, that's like the quote unquote official guidelines. And then they also have some examples in these training regs. Uh, the pictures on here are, um, well, we can talk about that, but here's, here's the bullet point examples. Uh, three by six tables, three to five medium sized line of sight blocking terrain of height one or lower, one to three large line of sight blocking terrain of height two or higher, two to four pieces of area terrain, zero to two pieces of difficult area terrain, and eight to 12 pieces of scatter terrain. Mm -hmm. um, that all seems pretty good. I'd probably err on the higher side of those numbers. Um, they do have a picture in here. I will say this picture, I think everything is just a little bit too small. Like, you know, it's got, for example, the crashed escape bot here on what I, what appears to be classified as like a medium sized line of sight blocker. Um, I'd be kind of surprised if you could even with silhouettes <laughs> successfully hide one model behind that thing. Now um, you don't want pieces that are too big, but uh I would say like on here, the things that are shown as large line of sight blockers are essentially medium line of sight blockers. And the things that appear to be small line of sight blockers are like not line of sight blockers, if that makes sense. And um, the, the way the game has evolved, most of those things are sort of minimums, not averages. Right. Yeah, if you want to view it that way. Yeah. And it's a combination of silhouettes and some of the things how the game has kind of evolved. Um, but generally speaking, um, if you're looking at these pictures, just kind of use your own judgment. Um, there's another resource too, which is on uh, Team Relentless's website. If you go to the terrain guidelines and it essentially takes that quote unquote official guidance and does like a much more comprehensive uh, for example. Mm. Um, and it talks about general tips and how to classify stuff. It has a much better example tables. So um, yeah, take a look at that also. Yeah, and I would say one of the biggest trappings that I think we all fall into is finding that balance between theme and and playable, right? And I yeah. think, like, we want to design... I mean, listen, Star Wars has some beautiful places, right, that we all want to visit. And so, you know, we make these beautiful tables, and then you're like, oh, yeah, like, I mean, for example, I have a Jetta table, the Jetta City table, that's very dense urban combat environment not so great for vehicles uh I, it, I played on that table at adepticon yeah uh i did bring it to adepticon um yep. and and that was a lighter version of that table and yeah. so um but i love that urban combat feel mm -hmm. and it looks like jetta city right so it looks exactly yep. like so you're like oh my god I'm, I'm playing in that um but not great for vehicles but you know you have to 
kind of find the balance between those. And so, you know, originally that board that Kyle played on and I, I'll have pictures or something somewhere, but basically it had, it was more dense and more square and like urban focus. And what we did was we spread it out and put the pieces like more in, in clumps here and there on the table and made it a little bit better for vehicles. But, you know, I, I think we've all fall into that. So I know you want to make a really cool looking board and for home games, that's great. You know, but if you're doing something at your local store or you're bringing something to a tournament you know always be mindful of if you go to the team relentless site which we'll have the link in the description below but you know if you go to their website and kind of look at their rules and then take all your theme terrain and try to fit it within what their guidelines that they're that they're providing yeah it's there's kind of two common mistakes really there's three common mistakes um that i see at uh, like conventions and especially store tournaments and stuff like that. Um, the first one is pretty simple and it's just like, and not enough terrain and not enough line of sight blockers. Yep. Um, and by line of sight blockers, we mean something that is, I would say at least 50% taller than a silhouette. Um, because if it's just very slightly taller than a silhouette, like anything that's above the table surface is going to be see, able to see over it. I mean, often if it's like your fist or bigger, it's an LOS blocker generally, depending on how bigger fists are and stuff. But right. yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, think, think about line of sight blockers. Uh, the second slightly related mistake I see is not enough area terrain. Um, Legion tends to lend itself towards 3D printed terrain, which is great. All that stuff is great. Uh, but area terrain is a little bit more like you, you can 3D print trees and stuff like that clearly, but it tends to be a little bit more labor intensive. Um, or you could just cut out pieces of felt, you know, green felt for forests and <laughs> get some trees from your local hobby store, and that's totally fine. Um, but for, you don't see a lot of that. Um, making area terrain that looks good is a little more labor intensive than just like 3D printing a building. Um, so you tend to see less of it. Uh, I've seen a lot of people start using, uh, like Atlantic City was great for this, basically like crates and pallets as area terrain. You essentially just take like a, you know, you could even probably 3D print one of these, but like a square pallet, right? And then you just put some loose scatter crates on top of it and you call it light area terrain. Um, and that's a great way on just about any map biome to add some area terrain if you're missing it and then you don't have to deal with like vegetation and other stuff that tends to be a little bit more work um so that's uh, mistake number two and then mistake number three is just um terrain pieces that are too big um and like large-ish is okay but generally speaking you shouldn't have any one terrain piece that is more than what six to eight inches in diameter I would say in that range, you, you probably don't want it to be reaching range two across. Right. That's too big. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely seen maps where like, I mean, you have some really large pieces that essentially, you know, once you commit to a side, you have to, you have to pick <laughs> yeah. like, you got to go around that side. And as the situation dictates that you need to go the other way, you can't basically. And that's not mm -hmm. good either. So um, you also get weird things because of 
I think it's a good thing generally for the cover rules. It makes it simpler where if like you're touching a terrain piece, you ignore that terrain piece for cover purposes, but you get some weird situations where these, with these giant terrain pieces, I've seen like, you know, terrain pieces that are almost range three in length. And you could have, you know, one unit that's at one side of it and like shooting a unit range three away and they're touching the same terrain piece. (laughs) And then neither unit gets covered because there's this giant piece of terrain. So, yep. Um, um, and like, as an aside, if you, if you sort of walk up to a table like that, or your TO and has a piece of train like that, it's often best to like, at least try to cut that in half, mm-hmm. either, whether it be actually physically cut in half or just delineated in half so that if there's two units on opposite sides of it, they still get cover. So if there's a natural, like if it's like a giant starfighter or something, like there's a table around with like a giant U-wing, um, my opponent and I at LVO just said like down the middle of the U-wing that separates the, uh, yeah thing into two different starfighters so if you're for fighting on either side of it you still get cover through it so yeah please don't physically cut it in half but yeah, yeah if there's, if there's like a good if there's a good spot but like oftentimes when you have like 3d printed buildings or something you'll mm-hmm. have like buildings that are actually like two different buildings that just sort of pull, push up to each other and in that case you can be like well where they're actually physically due to different pieces those are two different pieces of terrain even though it's like one building yeah, one thing that was really cool that a TO can do that I saw Nick do this at Atlantic City is he had several like multi-part buildings. Um, but for the multi-part buildings, he physically separated them by like an eighth of an inch, you know, where it was small enough that clearly like you can move across it, but wide enough where you'd be like, hey, are these supposed to be separate? And he's like, yep, those are supposed to be separate. That's why they're an eighth of an inch apart. Um, it's like, okay, that's great. You know, like yep, that's... small... Small little tip. Good way to do it. Yeah. So. Uh. Um, also on that tube large train piece is also like, I see, I mean, it's Star Wars. There's a lot of really cool theme train, but often you see like a lot of starfighters or similar train that sometimes doesn't work very well as Legion train or needs to be a part of a larger idea to make it work better, especially with silhouettes. If you have like, a starfighter you can shoot under it like it, it sort of it acts more like even though it looks like it should be land a sight blocking train it ends up acting more as like scatter train because there's no way you can ever actually get los blocked behind it um so often like this giant ewing table just basically had a bunch of stones piled under it so that it turned it almost functionally into a hill rather than a starfighter so there are ways around that kind of stuff but make sure that like especially if a train isn't just blocky buildings or big stones or whatever um, like even like rounded huts and stuff need to be because of the way silhouettes work. You need to make sure you take into account how sort of corner peaking works on various shape train. And um, yeah, like when I'm building train, um, I actually prefer, even though it doesn't, it sometimes looks a little goofy or it doesn't look quite as cool. Have the like up to a silhouette height be fairly square shaped. And then after that, it can start doing crazy shapes. Um, like I have a lot of boulders I printed off where made a lot of work in sort of making the first uh, couple inches of them very straight edged. And then they go off into crazy shapes after that, just so that if you're on ground level, you have fairly workable terrain, even though it can still look good to on the top. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of the non uniform of every table. Like I don't want uniformity across all tables. And I think it's okay that maybe some tables have more line of sight and some have less, not 
you know, I think that's okay. Cause you know, I think we should be challenged to play in all different scenarios and, and, and those have benefits and drawbacks for every list. So I'm a big fan of things being different. So, you know, I hope when you're listening to this, you're not taking that as, okay, all my tables have to be this. And I know, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity there to do different stuff. And, you know, one thing um, I don't know about you guys, but I don't see used a lot in real life is uh, area terrain, you know, and that was something coming out of uh, Warhammer Fantasy, Kyle, same probably for you with 40k, where you would have like a little cut piece of cardboard with some trees on it. And that was area terrain. And it's just basically a cone that goes up uh, or a cylinder. And so, you know, I think using that a lot more and having like, you know, tree kind of tree areas that could be light or heavy cover, but you could see through them. They're just, you know, it's area terrain. Like I, I think utilizing those a lot more is something we as a community have to do. You don't see a lot of area terrain. Yeah, but it's a really important part of a balanced table. Yeah. Just like just like an important part of a balanced breakfast. Um, <laughs> the an, an, another big pitfall you often see, especially like local terms and stuff, is like a giant piece of train or like a building right on the middle of the map. Because um, it's sort of a very natural yeah. thing to just put a giant thing right in the middle of the map. The problem is with Legion, you have a lot of objectives that fall right in the middle or you have a key, it's a key, key position. Um, so you often need to have your big thing off center um, and then especially because key positions try to have a, a small ish piece of something on or near the middle so that when if key position happens it's a very obvious relatively small piece of terrain that doesn't gonna advantage either side majorly yeah yeah and yeah. and that comes up a lot because of like any anything like Sabine, for instance, that has jump to right. Like sometimes putting those piece of terrain in the middle is as a Sabine player now, I love because I just jump up there and I grab the box and you can't do anything about it. And so, you know, uh it's great for me, uh, but for the game, yeah, you got it, but that's the problem, right? Like <clears throat> a lot of people when they're building these tables, like there was some tournament I went to that they put a big sand crawler like right in the middle of the table, and we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that was PAX, I think. Yeah, you gotta you gotta move that, uh, you gotta move that. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, and then try, you know, and I think it's just uh, understanding if you're going to be a TO of a, an event just at your local store or, you know, if, if there's some some big convention, big ish convention that's asking you to be a TO because you're the resident Star Wars Legion expert. You know, I think just recognizing these different situations and I think the table still be beautiful if that sand crawler is like off to the side more, you know, or, you know, is, is on the on the sides, you know, I mean. I have a, a, a actual, you know, a two scales Millennium Falcon uh, that fits for this game. And remember, Kyle, we had it for like Northeast Open, I think. It was, it's beautiful and it's great and it's cool to have on the table, but good God, does that suck to play with, you know? And I had so many judge calls on that table. At yeah. <laughs> and we learned the hard way, but we did, you know, I mean, but this is what happens. We made these mistakes. So, yeah. so we're, I'm coming at this from a place of, I've been there, man. Like I get it, you know? Um, and, and so like literally that Malone folk, it just sits in the corner now because there's a, it, it's not good for, it's not good for a table. Um, you um, know, just stuff you learn as you, as you're going along. And it's, like, sorry, go ahead. Well, it, just to, to go off the center thing, it's okay to have like a 
pretty big line of sight blocker near the center of the table. Yeah. Just don't put it like smack dab in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Um, and think about when you do that too, think about where the, you know, deployment zones are. You kind of, um, I like to think of like corner to corner, right? Like the major offensive zones. That's where most zones are going to be sort of generally coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have a like a big line of sight blocker, maybe put it along that other axis, the other diagonal axis, so that it's not uh, like significantly closer to yep. one person's major defensive corner. Um, I also, if you are going to put a small hill or something in the middle, um, <laughs> like you, you can, there are ways to do that, but you need to make sure that like at minimum troopers can like difficult move up to the center of the map. Um, like there's the Imperial train, like big temple piece that can actually fairly functionally work like the big sort of st- stepped temple piece work as the center of the map. Um, the key there is often make sure you have a something satellite dish or something in the middle to be your key position. And then it can be access like the middle box or whatever that falls in recover, for instance, can be accessed by troopers by moving, yeah. not having to climb or clamber. Yeah, I, I think another pitfall that a lot of people fall into is uh, making things symmetrical and balanced, and that's that's a big mistake too. Like you you want variety and you and you want different. Like I know in your head you're sitting there going, "Well, I want both sides to be even to both players," and it's like it's never going to work. A the way you think it's going to work, and B by doing that you're creating a lot more headaches in like fire lanes and stuff like that than you're than you're aware of. Right. Like it's a it's I understand. And when you're starting, it's a good idea. And you're like, I'm going to make everything balanced. But it just ends up becoming totally unbalanced uh, because of fire lanes, because, you know, you're not really thinking through probably vehicles. You're not thinking through like all these other things and all the angles that, you know, you're going to these these two players are going to be battling at. Yeah, one thing. You know, like you can make a balanced map without it being symmetrical. Hmm. Um, and it is important to try and make a balanced map, but also don't make it symmetrical. In your example, right, if, you know, if you're going to give like one side an extra line of sight blocker, maybe make the other side, like have a little bit more heavy scatter on that side yeah. than the one side that has like an extra line of sight blocker right. or something like that. Um, it's important to try and make a map balanced. As a, as a person that has arranged a lot of terrain at tournaments and made invader maps and stuff, I've never successfully made balanced map and I've tried to make everyone balanced. So if you're worried about like, quote unquote, preserving red player advantage, you're going to do that by accident yeah. um, because making a balanced map is impossible unless you make it perfectly symmetrical, which you shouldn't do because that's boring. Yep. Um, so uh, try and make it balanced uh, as much as possible. It's not going to be, um, you're still going to preserve that red player advantage. Don't worry. Um if you try and make a, ba- a map that is not balanced, it's going to be like ridiculous <laughs> in a way that's not fun for somebody. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, try and make a balanced map. Don't make it symmetrical. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's just important to put thought into it. I know it's hard sometimes at, um, you know, events where you got like 32 to 64 tables and you only have a couple judges, maybe um, like we get that there's, you know, human limits. <laughs> um but um yeah i i mean it is quite the thing to walk into a con with oh here's a room of tables and here's a giant pile of buckets of train go (laughs) yeah 
Um, so uh, it is if if you ever have a chance to sneak in early to a con to appreciate the setup and how hard it is to set up tables before the con, I got to see it at LVO and it is quite the process. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> oh god, and it's like the problem is. We're all very well-intentioned, but sometimes those tables get designed by committee too. And so like, if you, if you end up going to a convention and there's a couple bad tables, there's going to be at every convention because we are all struggling to get 30 plus tables together, right? Um, just take it easy on the TO. They did the best that they could. And yeah. half of those, some of those weren't even built by them. They were built by staff because they were too busy doing other stuff. And some of them were built by committee and got over-designed. And it just, there's a lot that goes into that. So, you know, if you see some bad tables, just recognize that there's probably other ones that are really good and and just be cool you know and and, and have maybe have if there's more than you know if there's a lot of bad tables just have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with the to and just find out why and then maybe if you have some suggestions i think most tos are open and to to suggestions and and looking at changes and stuff so yeah. i mean especially after like round one or two of a big tournament like often like don't overload the to or the judges um, and try to be respectful especially if they're running around and trying to put on a good event, but especially if you're done early or whatever, and you notice like this one thing, see, like, I mean, it's like, Oh, this, this piece of train was a way too good or I didn't, whatever. Sometimes the judges, it's just cause they didn't have enough time to like fully look over every scenario on yeah. every map. Right. So if you say that to them politely, and especially like if you're done for everything's crazy right at the end of the round, they'll often come over and totally take your, and might, move the pieces around a little bit and be like oh i was actually supposed to be there or no that's a good yeah. idea so and especially round one or two of a long tournament where a little bit of good good polite suggestions after round one will help four or five rounds of gaming later yep yep yeah and a quick and easy thing to do just for tos if you have a multi-day tournament with cuts um and this doesn't even involve rearranging any terrain though if you're ambitious clearly you could do that um but just cut tables right uh, like if you've got a cut and you don't need all the tables for day two, um, do a walkthrough and just quickly be like, okay, this is a bad table, you know, yep. not pairing on that one tomorrow. Um, this is a good table. We're keeping that one. Right. And it's basically just like a table triage and you don't have to rearrange anything. You don't even really have to necessarily put any terrain away. Um, but especially if you're just doing like a top eight or top four cut and you only need like four tables, just go pick your four best tables and be like, all right, we're pairing on those tables, you know? Um, so. And it can easily, like, especially like you can just rearrange placards. Like most tournaments yeah. have numbering systems on the tables. Um, and especially if you're cutting down to eight or whatever, just take your one through eight and put them on your eight best tables. And then when the pairings come out, it'll be, you're playing on table one through eight and they'll go find them and play on them. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't even require any rearranging of terrain. Just, just cut the bad tables, you know? Um, so yeah. And, um, any other, any other table arranging thoughts? No, I think that's good. Um, awesome. I think we got them. I think we got them. Yeah. All right. Should we hit, should we quickly hit hobby? Yeah. Let's do All it. Right. What have you guys been working on? You, you've been doing any hobby stuff lately? Yeah, so I'm trying to currently, uh, I think I talked about this, I don't know, maybe months ago, but I want to have 
at least enough of every army in the studio here so that when people come over or when we're demoing or playing games that I can, you know, that I can get units on the table. Um, and so I'm trying to finish up my uh, CIS army because that was the one I had the most completed. Um, and I really only have about four units left. Uh, two of which being Magna Guard um, and, and then just some like ancillary stuff that I want to get in there. So one of the things I'm trying to do differently, and this is the first time I've ever done this, and I it could be a huge mistake. I don't know yet. Uh, but the, the Magna Guard, what I've done is I'm going to, I've already primed them, but I left them on all their sprues. And I've primed them, and then I'm going to try painting them on the sprues, then glue them together, and then do touch-up work and see if that does anything to the process. You know, I don't, I don't know what it's going to do. I just like, I'm like, maybe it'd be easier to hold, see things, like move around the pieces if they're just in the sprue, and then do the and then touch up where the the sprues connected once I once I glue them all together. So that's that's my thing that I'm trying now and. Um, I've gotten some really great inspiration. Uh, Rachel and I have been watching uh, this TV show called Face Off, which is uh, it's a it's about making like um, movie prosthetics, like masks and like makeup and stuff for for movies. And like it's a competition. It's a reality show. Uh, and so um, I've been learning so much about like their process and how they paint humans and like do all these like alien makeups and how they layer the paints and when, why they do certain things. Um, you know, like for one, for one, one, there was a uh, swimming was trying to do like a human like skin tone. And she was like explaining to while she's painting, like, well, listen, you know, you have a lot of blood and stuff under here. So you can't just start with like a white or a gray. Like you should probably start with like a red or like a, or like a, a dark pink and then build up, you know, on top of that. And that's going to give you a more full like color spectrum uh, at the end. And I was like, oh, I bet you that would work, you know, while we're painting miniatures and stuff too. So, so that's been really inspiring and, and a lot of cool uh, things that they're doing that kind of echo how we do things with miniatures and terrain when we're hobbying. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. that. So I could do that this way, you know, when I'm doing a miniature, or when I'm working on this. So, so that's been, that's been really great. Yeah, actually, I took a painting class years ago at Nova Open, and the one one thing that the guy said uh, basically is, anytime you're painting skin for a living creature, even if it's skin that's not like you know typical human colored flesh, um, if it's like an orc with green skin or if it's like some dragon with blue skin or whatever, you should always include red or pink as at a minimum like a like an undertone color, um, you know, because red is like the color of life, right? So anytime you're painting a skin for a living creature, even if it's some weird color, always include some kind of red or pink somewhere in there. So that tracks with what you mentioned from that show. Yeah. Like we never talked about that before. Right. And so that's a really cool, like, so that must, that just must be a standard like technique, right. In art. Yeah. So that's, that's really neat. Um. I, my a local AOS group has started up in earnest again. So I've been painting some AOS stuff. <laughs> it's, it's treason then. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my, my one thing, I mean, I haven't been painting too much, but I mean, school is busy right now, but um, I've been doing a lot of Stormcast, which means I've been playing around a lot of metallics um, and GW contrast paints on top of uh, metallics looks real good. Hmm. Real, real Interesting. good. 
I've, I've heard that as a thing. I have yet yeah. to try it myself. Yeah. I, 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 I knew it. And then on one model, I did like three different colors for like gemstones and like potions and stuff. And it looks real good. Um, and especially like if you want to do like gems, if you do like a, like a really bright silver metallic and then whatever color gem you want to do. Um, GW also has like gem technic technical paints. We don't mm. need to use those. I have one of them that I just use contrast for other ones. And then you can also do like reds over gold, like red contrast paint over gold metallics Ooh. gives you a very warm um, and like one of my things sort of looks like a potion is sort of what I did, but you can also make it look like warm gems or warm armor or whatever. So I don't know how applicable that is to Legion models. I can't, uh, <laughs> but like if you want to have like a bedazzled droid <laughs> army, you want to do like, uh, yes, <laughs> somebody needs them. to do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then my other hobby project is just a bunch of printing because I can spend a little bit of time to let my printer do its thing for a while. Um, and I've sort of have two tables on the go. I'm sort of slowly putting the Naboo table together because I saw Nick Podner's at LVO and got on a hobby horse. Um, and then I'm also doing sort of like an Endor slash Kashyyyk slash nondescript forest uh, type thing. But basically just putting, I put a, got a whole bunch of STLs for trees and boulders, basically rocks, and just put a lot of CAD work to just move them around, adjust them a little bit. So I have a lot of individual things and that's where I was playing around with the boulders so that I have like some that are like basically area trained because I laid them flat and smushed them down. So they're like decently sized big bases that are just sort of rocky fields at this point. And then also ones that sort of stand up and are quite tall, like almost building sized boulders. Mm. Um, and then hopefully as summer rolls around, because I might airbrush those gray and then dry brush them, but I'm thinking I, also, I might just rattle can them because it'd be super quick outside to just lay them all out and the battle cut them all at the same time gray and then just dry brush them up with big dry brushes so we'll see those are my projects right now <laughs> so i have done literally nothing with hobby <laughs> since adepticon <laughs> um, i had kind of a it was kind of a painting blitz to get my phones ready which um, i don't know if that i've ever talked about them on the show but they're they're here of course green screen can't see them yep sorry uh, sorry um, I actually did uh, some of them with uh, Ahsoka helmets. Let me find a good one. Can you put see it that? right in front of your face? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, it's a little blurry. Uh, I may or may not have posted some pictures at some point. But anyway, put your hand behind it. <laughs> is that? Uh, it just green screens it. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, uh, this is uh, awful. No, we're really, no. All right. we're really anyway. messing up. <laughs> um, yeah, I did these. I tried these Soka helmets on my face too, as, as like a squad marking. Because um, I tried to do five of first, which means that I wanted them all to at least be like white and blue. Yeah. But I'm also kind of obsessive about squad markings, especially with like clones, because they get intermixed a lot, and you need to know who belongs to where. So I ended up doing like variations on the white and blue theme, like some guys with stripes on their shoulders that are gray and white. Mm -hmm. um, I have a naked clone squad who has no blue on them. They're just, they're just naked. Um, Rookies. And, uh, yeah. Um, and then I, I also have uh, uh, another squad that has orange on them, but not in the, uh, not on the helmet. It's just like elsewhere. Um, and the list I ran had two copies of Overwatch in it, and both Overwatch squads have orange on them. So <laughs> that's what I always like. 
uh, reminded my opponents, I'm like, the important thing to remember with the squad marking is that the Overwatch squads are orange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're the only units on the table that are orange. Um, just a heads up. I'm not trying to like, you know, trip you up with Overwatch. These are the two, the two orange ones, the bright orange ones are the ones that have Overwatch. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was really fun. I basically, I did the white with an airbrush, uh, and then I did the rest freehand. Um, white with, white with an airbrush is like the only way to do white. I swear. Yeah. I, I don't know how I, oh, it's, I'm never going ever, back. <laughs> ever did it with a normal brush. Uh, it's like torture. Um, yeah i gotta i you know i saw i think the amg stream might have done it and then i saw a youtube video where they use the um the makeup sponges uh to, and they started with like gray and then they did like a light gray with the makeup sponge and like just getting like the, all the like highlighted areas and yeah. then did the white um i might try that with the clones when i get to that just just to test it out you know because you're right the, dude painting white is literally the worst it's the it's worst horrible yeah, yeah. The only thing worse is yellow. I don't yep. know if you've ever painted yellow, but yellow is actually worse than white, slightly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my clones, because some of them were with a rattle can way back in the day. Um, and now I have, I'm started doing them with the airbrush. And like to the naked eye from afar, you can't really tell the difference, but you put them, get them up close and it's very yeah. obvious which ones are rattle can and which ones are airbrush. Yeah. Um, and then I just want to talk about basing because I actually um, I had a lot of fun with these bases. They're super simple. I don't know if can you see that. Oh yeah, yeah. Like so it's, um, yeah, kind of. It's uh, so they have uh, you know there's like jungle tufts which I use for my droids which are green, but they have essentially it's the same thing. But they're um, I think they're called alien tufts, but you can get them in like these crazy pink and purple and bright orange and bright green colors. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I just did, uh, one of the texture paints, one of the GW texture paints, I think granite, whatever that astro, 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 astro granite, astro granite. Yeah. It's astro granite and astro debris, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just did that. I, I, uh, did like a purple wash over it and then I dry brushed it gray and then white to get like this sort of like purpley algae fungus feel yeah. situation. And then I just glued the tufts on them and that's it. Yeah. That's all yeah. I did. So, yeah um i couldn't find anything ambara has this cool like tentacle plants yeah um i couldn't find anything like that uh i would have thought maybe gw had something like that but i couldn't find anything i yeah uh, i do know that there's stls for like felucia yeah. felucian plants that exist but mm. i i'm sure at some point someone with modeling skill will make some bar and uh, plants but yeah, and I, I think I think the, the I think they said on stream that the five hundred first battle force thing that they're doing is supposed to be like Umbara themed. So I wouldn't be surprised if um, I mean the Umbara arc in the Clone Wars show is very crucial to the five hundred first development. So yes, very much. <laughs> <laughs> and ironically, Anakin's absent for that entire arc. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so it's super simple. Uh, my droids are similar. It's just like, a, you know, GW is not the only one that makes these basing paints. You can get them from other companies too, but basically it's just like basing paint. Yeah. Wash, dry brush the basing paint, glued grass tufts to it. It looks great. That's all you yeah. have to do. Um, it's really easy. Yeah. You can, and you can, you know, you can, uh, there are, 
So like if you go to any hobby store, like a Hobby Lobby or like a Michaels or AC Moore or any of those, you can actually get the acrylic paints. They have like mats and mediums and stuff that you can get that create similar effects and you could just mix your own like i've done that as well and and like they have like sandy gritty ones that i'll mix with like brown paint to create dirt or yeah. like tan you know to create like uh sand or you know they have like a like a stucco type paint that mm -hmm. drives all you know so you can do that and just mix whatever colors you want in with that too so that's another way and you could get big bottles of that for like nine bucks at these yeah, hobbies super cheap. yeah yeah the um, uh the gw stuff is definitely not the cheapest it's expensive um, but because it's great yeah like, it is, it is amazing. <laughs> yes it's also because especially for legion armies where you don't actually need that much basic material um like gw like because they usually come in pairs yeah like so it'll be like one effect and the other effect so if you have like a bottle of each it usually does a legion army quite yeah. easily with just yeah. the two bottles so it's still not the cheapest thing but like if you're doing all your minis across all armies whatever the same then those bigger bottles definitely worth it. But for me, I do all my armies in different bases, so yeah. the small bottles yeah. are totally fine for me. I'm regretting, by the way, doing my armies in different bases now that Shadow <laughs> Collective is going to be a thing. <laughs> Same. Um, I'm like, because I, I have currently have Bosque based in my Empire basing scheme, which is like different than my other three. Yep. And. I, I'm like, okay, they've told us that he can he'll potentially be usable in droids now too. Um, how do I base him? Like, do I, what <laughs> yeah. do I do here? <laughs> I, uh, I mean, my I, my Wookiees, because they're in Rebels and yep. Clones. Same and problem my, with Wookiees. My Rebel scheme is Stowe and my Clone scheme is Desert. And those are not the same biomes. Nope. <laughs> yeah, not close. Yeah, my, my Rebels is, is Crate, like the salt planet with the red dirt. Yeah. Um, and my clones is what I just showed you. It's just that Felucia thing, not close. Yeah. So I have I have three Wookiee units, and I'm like, uh, if I if I bring these to a tournament and use them as Republic Wookies, like, what what yeah. am I gonna do? I, I don't know. I mean, my my Plus problem too is I shifted. I just sort of took a knife to the base and you know my yeah, one yeah. spot I had painted up with my Rebel scheme, but they're painted like very gray and like with white markings because it's supposed to be like all oh, their little frosty uh -huh. and now they're in the desert <laughs> <laughs> well you guys gotta do like what i do every unit has different basing so then it doesn't matter yeah. i am i am thinking about though uh with with the clones when i paint that army that i'm gonna do one base across all the clones just because i haven't done that i've done different basing on uh -huh. every different unit and sometimes i wish they were more cohesive so i might do that but especially if you're doing them white, the basing really stands out. Yeah. yeah. Which is partly why I did the Felucia because it's super colorful and it looks it looks nice underneath the white. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good idea for clones if you're doing white is to make them a consistent basing scheme. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, right. also turns out desert looks pretty good against the white. Yep. It does. Like yeah. the sort of warm browns. Yep. Yeah. Or, uh, uh whatever that planet that everybody genos genosis yeah genosis yeah yep. genosis. Well, and and the nice thing about doing desert schemes for star wars is two of the most iconic planets genosis and tatooine are both the same biome both, yep <laughs> genosis is not like quite desert it's more like yeah they're like mars desert yeah, yeah. yeah. genosis has the red dirt Gen yep. tatooine is more traditional desert but right. you can kind of fudge it and say they're both yeah, the yeah. Same. Right. yeah yeah close enough <laughs> um 
All right. Speaking of Shadow Collective, before we sign off here, did you guys talk about the card list that they released at all? Nah, because we um, didn't. We didn't know what any of them were, so we were just like, eh. well, yeah. I mean, we don't need to like speculate. Yeah. What some of the cards do? I think. I think that's the important takeaway for me is last time I was on, we were talking about like, what do I buy? Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's there's two takeaways from that card list. The first is that there doesn't appear to be anything unique in the expansion packs versus the core set. Right. Uh, by that, I mean the unit expansion packs. Um, the second thing is the card pack. Um, I forget what the official title of the card pack card is. Card pack two. Card pack two. Okay. Um, <laughs> not the thing that has like the objective tokens and the battle cards in it. No. The, um, the upgrade card pack or whatever. Yeah. yeah card yeah. pack two. Um, that has cards that are not in the core set. Yep. Uh, specifically like the, the bounty hunter mercenary cards and stuff like that. So yep. um, if you want to play the bounty hunters, uh, you'll need, it's only like 12 bucks or something. Um, yep. But those cards are not in the core set. So you'll need one of those. So yep. my question is, do I need the expansion packs? If I'm just buying a bunch of core sets, the answer is no. Um, do I need the card pack? If I'm buying a bunch of core sets, the answer is yes. <laughs> so Yeah, and I, th- I think the expansion packs, I think you're going to need them eventually because I think at some point you're going to be like, oh, I want to run another set of Mandalorians yeah, yeah. or I want to do that, you know, but until you know and you get them in your hands and actually yeah. start playing them, right? Like two two to three core sets should, should do you. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel also like the card pack, I do like that they, act- I actually kind of like that they did that because it means for people who have a bounty hunters and don't want to actually buy into the rest of shadow collective 12 bucks and you're good to go yep um yeah if you just want to play your empire bounty hunters like you normally would just buy the card pack yeah yeah um i still do not own boba fett i think i'm gonna have to rectify that (laughs) come on my empire stuff is like darth vader slash palpatine focused so um yeah, I need to I need to work on my physical empire models. That's my next that's my next hobby goal before Atlantic City is to get because there's they're like an embarrassing three color standard. Um, I think I said this on a previous cast. Yeah, well, that, that's going to be my next hobby goal. Th- three color standard is not embarrassing. That's the that is the minimum. <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> so you know what you want to know real quick before we sign off. I'll tell you. You know what my big next big hobby goal is and. I think I'm going to combine this into a couple different things, but have you guys played uh, Fallen Order, Jedi Fallen Order at yep. all the video game? Okay. So the planet Zepho, that was the one that had like the snow and it was like the cool little like uh, ancient town and stuff. And it had like yeah, snow cool. and grass in the mountains. I, I want to build that table. Like I want to design a mat. I want to do the table. Like I want to do the whole thing. Like I, I, I don't know why I was playing. I just, I played that game for the, Beat, I beat the game recently, but that was the first time I played it. And uh, man, dude, I didn't know how good that game was. Like, I know everybody was talking about it, but I find sometimes with this community, like everything's great and it's hard to like weed through what, you know, what I should actually spend my time on. And so, you know, this was one of those things where I was like putting it off and put, and then I finally, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit down when I have some free time. And I loved, I absolutely loved it. And in particular, the Zepho planet really spoke to me and I was like, oh, this would be a cool Legion board, you know? So I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah, that's a cool biome. My my big project is to reduce my piles of shame to 
maybe one pile of shame because I, <laughs> I I went through it all and separated it into the armies so that they weren't quite as big. But I now have like five different piles of shame. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna need some pile of shame space for Shadow Collective. So. Um, yeah. Oh, that that'll be a sixth pile of shame. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I have a ton of uh badly painted empire stuff and then i have a bunch of like unpainted um republic stuff still like the barks yoda some wookies uh and then i have um some i still haven't painted the new droid releases i've got two boxes of magna guards and a super tactical droid that i haven't painted yet so yeah um yeah that's my that's my current pile of shame once i get through the empire once i plot through the empire stuff it'll be like manageable but then shadow collection is going to come out that's going to be <laughs> bad again dude i was thinking that same thing like because i'm looking at my so like i said i'm almost done with droids right um i'm pretty good on empire and rebels just because you know i I've been playing them, so I've been painting things up. But like, I'm looking over here, going, "Okay, I got those." And then I'm like, "Oh God, Shadow Collective's coming out in a few months. Like, I'm never gonna catch up." Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so that's my goal: is to be as caught up as possible before that comes out, so that I have actual pile of shame space for Shadow Collective, because those models look a amazing, but yep. also be very labor intensive to paint. Yep. Um. You know, it's not like droids or clones where you can do the primary coat with an airbrush and no. then just go in and do the details. There's like, there's lots of like cloth and robes and leather and very fine detail, alien faces. And I mean, it's like they look amazing. Oh, they look but, awesome. Um, yeah, that's not going to be a quick paint situation. I, I mean, even the Maldalorians, which are pro probably the easiest paint in some ways, mm -hmm. but even those, because like they have the spiky helmets. So suddenly you have flat metal um, best car with spikes on them that you have to like pick out. And, and you've got all the different, you know, it's, it's not quite like painting Sabine, um, yeah. but you have, you know, like they all have different patterns on them in the yeah. red and the black and the different cuts. So it's, yeah, even though you're painting armor, it's still like differently patterned armor. I, I, I mean, I have a lead belcher Sabine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> No, it isn't. <laughs> I'm actually quite proud of my Sabine. That's a model that I haven't um, had much of a chance to bust out. But I, I even did like the checkerboard thing on her shoulder. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. And the wings, the wings on the back and the jetpack. Yeah. Look, look at this guy. On that one. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been doing 40K for a long time. So um I like the freehand is fun if you're not doing it repeatedly. If you're just doing it on like one model, freehand is fun. I, I yeah, mean, I've started to do some freehand like when all my clones. I've started. I was doing individual insignia and stuff, and that was the first like true freehand I'd started to do, and mm -hmm. it's uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, I only did five and so helmets. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. I mean, I did my first my actually my first freehand ever was my super tack, and I did a super like swirly design on him. Uh-huh. Um, and after that I was like, I can do this. And then went 12 clones later went, I don't want to do more of this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's great, it's great for like character models or things that you're only gonna do one time and that's it. Yeah. Um 
it's it's also nice to not have a pattern to actually have to follow because it's like oops slip well that's part of my pattern now yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's the yeah. Great thing about like i played 40 orcs for 40k yeah and their whole thing is just like they all have to look different from each other so you mess up it's like oh yeah that's this guy's thing he's yeah. got a slanty checkerboard yeah. pattern yep. instead of you know like yeah. You know. yeah i did the kraken and kalani I was oh god! I did. I was trying to do the little detail paint, and like the one side, I'm like, man, killer! I crushed it. And then I'm like going to do the other side, I'm like rap, and I'm like, oh son of a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I don't have time for this. <laughs> and, yeah, as as someone like my, I was trying to do when I was painting my signs. I was trying to do my bad. Like generally, you have a good side and a bad side when you paint. Um, just mm-hmm. the way yeah. I, how dominant hands. I was trying to do the bad side first so that whatever I did, I could match it. Match. Like, oh, that's a good of, idea. Yeah. That's good thinking. <laughs> just because like, and especially like I have a fairly injured hand. So some movements just don't happen. So I try to do it on my bad side first so that I can like, oh yeah, that's not going to happen. So then I just yeah. do it and then match it on the good side. And, oh, yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. That's a great idea. <sighs> All right. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? Oh man, I'm good. All right. Good nice, luck to, nice smooth landing. It's just good luck to everyone playing an invader. Yeah. Um, We're doing I, dro- it. I dropped the game, so I, I don't know if I talked about that, but uh, I need to. I'm three and one. So I think if I win one more, then I should be in decent shape to make Kyle, it out of group stage. But Kyle was the first fifth trooper to drop a game. I was. Yeah. <laughs> ah, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was the second. I mean, I mean, I'm still only three and oh, so I still have two more games to drop. But (laughs) is it just you and me, Jay, out of the six or seven that have actually so far? Yeah. Okay. But I will (laughs) say my my bracket is much more uh, cut and dry. So it I think I'm for sure going into the next round. So so minus minus one of those weird situations where you could end up with like a three way four and one tie. Oh, yeah. And then it gets super awkward because like everybody's beaten somebody else in that three way tie and then. Because head to head is the first tie break, but then you have to go to victory points, and it's like, yep. it gets weird. <laughs> I hope we don't uh, end up in that situation. And Kyle does not like victory point ties. No, I don't. Um, I've actually not by my choice, but I've had, um, I think three of my four games have been on VAPs, and uh, in one of those, I actually managed to like assault my opponent's VAP, um, because he only had like four models left by the end of the game and score a victory point, um. But uh, in the other ones, they were four four ties. Um, so I have one victory point right now with three wins. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, just in a quick side too, my, my last game was a hostage game, and I had a very easy like runaway and hide like two two win. Yeah. But I decided as soon as my hostage was safe enough, I went and got his objective. So and I, it didn't actually end up grabbing it, so it ended up being two zero. But that's two points on the board for me in case right. there's a weird tie or something. Yeah. Yeah. So. That is yeah, a thing I, for... I wasn't really in a good position to do that, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. I, um, <laughs> the game that I lost, I lost to Captain Cook, who's currently 3-0 and in our group. He's running like an Iden tactical strike plus do back situation. Um, so it's good. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Pal- Palpatine was in a spot he shouldn't have been in, but um, he was 0 for 6 on saves. Mm. It was like, I got a medic, you know, I've got protector up, um like i'm good that was not good uh <laughs> that was that was six that was six more saving rolls you then should have been thrown exactly yes i should yeah. not have been making like 
there was there was a way that I could have done it where I didn't have to make any saves and that's what I should have done. So yep. um, this is, that's definitely not a, you know, I always say like, you should just take the dice out of the equation if possible. That was a situation where there was like a way where I could have taken the dice out of the equation. I didn't, and they punished me for it. So yep. um, Captain Cook's a good player. He saw the opportunity. Uh, pro tip, if you're facing Palpatine, um, the way to beat Palpatine is to shoot Palpatine. <laughs> It's not rocket science. All of his wounds are important. Yes, he has protector and medics, but like, you know, those three up saves fail occasionally. And when they do, they're very important for Palpatine. So, um, you know, even if he survives, I think I was going back, like, you know, even if he rolls average and he makes four of those six saves, right? Uh, there was a medic. So he's. Well, for, yeah, if he died on six, he would have had two wounds on him at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, then he's only got basically two wounds available for a now you will die. Like that's, that's not a good, and now you will die. That's a bad one. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, like it's still, that still would have been real bad if he just rolled average there and took two wounds instead of six. Um, so yeah. Yep. Um, anyway, this was a long final thoughts. It was, yep. you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> we actually, we talked about, uh, cause he, um, Last week, uh, Jay and, and Lucas and John went and talked about their Invader games so far. I, I hadn't done that yet. So we were like, Kyle should talk about his Invader thing. And then we got all the way to the end. And I'm like, I didn't do that. So yep, yep. there you go. Well, if you say this um, long, a little treat for you. Yeah. Uh, or punishment, depending on how you see it. Yeah. So I'm taking it one game at a time and hoping to avoid the dreaded three-way time. Oh, yeah. We'll see. Uh, all right. Well. We are the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Jay. I'm Timbo. Stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs>